I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I am your host, Armand Haddad. This season, we are shining the spotlight on art house films and the power of cinema within our lives. Today's focus is on the 1997 psychological thriller, Perfect Blue, by director Satoshi Khan. To unpack this film, I'm accompanied by Chicago creative Simone Salas. Simone, welcome back hey. to Hey. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad you're back. You're in season three. So season two, you recommended Paprika by Satoshi Khan. And now you're back to recommend another Satoshi Khan film, Perfect Blue. So That's all I do and this- watch. I don't watch anything else except Satoshi Khan's movies. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's a great director. So... <laughs> You recommended Perfect Blue. We're talking about Perfect Blue today. We watched Perfect Blue. So let's start off the conversation. How did you first discover the film Perfect Blue? Well, actually, after watching Paprika, um, you know, I, you know, looking through the biography of, of Satoshi Khan, I ended up uh, looking two things. One is Paranoia, his uh, anime TV show. And the other one was Perfect Blue. There are more like uh, Millennium Actress, but you know those are the two that I I decided to watch after we discussed Paprika because I had never seen it before. Yeah, like because like you showed me Paprika and I was completely blown away because like prior to watching Satoshi Khan's film, um, my idea of anime was very uh, childish slash adolescent uh, TV shows uh, like. Dragon Ball Z, Inuyasha, <laughs> Pokemon. Like, that was my view of anime. It was, it was like, it's for kids slash teenagers. And then when you recommended Paprika, I was like, wow, this is not only a mature film, but also I could see how the West took influence from this Eastern film. For example, Inception, 
<laughs> yeah, right. Inception is, is substantially paprika. Uh, yeah. Well, most Americans might be familiar with uh, Miyazaki Hayao, right? After Disney started to distribute his movies and Studio Ghibli became kind of famous, Phantom Events had some shows here in theaters. So that's that's another style that's not necessarily the childish manga, but is used as, as a format to narrate different kind of stories. And here, uh, Kon Satoshi does the same and he's kind of the first to use the format and the medium to to for a psychological thriller and he doesn't have any surreal uh scene really that's something that animation might be associated with or or consider more more apt as as a format as a medium he just uses it to narrate a regular story, a psychological thriller, which is very dreamy, sure. And it's it's masterfully conceived in some parts of animations, but it truly is just a story that could have been a movie and has been. I have not watched the movies. Um, I have seen clips. They don't seem as good because the director makes the difference here. And his format happens to be animation and it happens to be specifically anime. Yeah, I think the medium is perfect for this story because like, I mean, we talked about Paprika before and that's like, they, he truly uses the medium to the nth degree by really exaggerating a whole bunch of stuff, having, having surrealism painted on screen. But with Perfect Blue, you have a story where it's very subtle, the surrealism. It's enough to make you get unnerved. It makes you uncomfortable in certain scenes. And I thought the use of animation was perfect for this film. Um, you mentioned that there are other adaptations with Perfect Blue. I didn't know there was a live action Perfect Blue. I think there's a job. Be... I don't think that has been I don't think that has been translated or subtitled okay. or anything in English. It's it's a, like a made for TV movie in Japan, one of those dramas. The, the same ones that are in the Perfect Blue, right? The Mima, the yeah. protagonist, she is in those dramas. Basically the Japanese version of telenovelas. Um, okay. And, uh, so hot out of the gate, it wouldn't be good because <laughs> like you have like the soap opera made for TV and it's adapting mm-hmm. from this like superior product, superior film. So yeah, it makes sense that translators are like, you know what? We're not even going to bother. Don't even watch this. <laughs> watch the anime. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned the main character, Mima. So before we go any further into this story, Simone, I need you to do the elevator pitch. Please stand clear of the closing door. So for those that don't know, if you're selling a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So Simone, here today, I need you to summarize Perfect Blue within 60 seconds while avoiding major spoilers. Are you ready? Almost. Almost ready? Okay, (laughs) okay, 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 I'm ready. You could do it. I believe in you. I need you to pitch me the film as if I'd never seen it before in three, Mm -hmm. two, one, go. If you want to watch a mind-bending thriller that looks at human psyche through dream and reality, merging it, and it's fun, and it's it's something that is, you know, an animation, it's not just a psychological thriller, then this is a great movie. It's serious. It has some twists that I did not expect. Usually some of those are obvious and I get really bored. This one is masterfully built, has fantastic technique and transitions, 
It is also contemporary because it touches themes like like there is there is definitely a social commentary about society, idols, media, how we see ourselves, how we want, we want other people to see us. There is a twist. You will jump. There is blood. There is fun. And so you should just watch it as the debut of uh, Satoshi Kon. With five seconds to spare, you did a great oh job. Oh my God, so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, like you said, I was completely blown away like with the twists and the turns because like watching this movie, I mean, watching a lot of thrillers, a lot of movies, like you see you see the setups and you're like, okay, it's going to pay off in these ways. And you get, you get kind of bored. With this film, I was like, oh my God. Like I was completely blown away, especially in the third act. I was like, what i was I very surprised what? I was like, what i was yeah i was i was watching with with justin who has been on the show um my, oh, yeah. my partner um and and I, I tend to talk a lot during movies when he's around because i know he's gonna like me anyway so just talk during movies if i were with strangers i would never ever say a single word or in a movie <laughs> theater with him i just go like nah what i i feel like i go like that and i definitely did it spontaneously during this movie um it, it had a couple wtf tf moments for sure um oh, yeah. so yeah plot twists were well built i don't think they're gonna bore you even if you watch the movie again because it's kind of like they're built in such a good way and with good technique that it's enjoyable to watch it again maybe oh yeah absolutely because like watching it for the first time you're like i don't know what's happening and like if you were to revisit the movie you're like okay now i know the context of everything so you see it in a new light watching it again and I'm probably going to do that soon because, <laughs> like, the movie was so good. So, right, what do you think in... about the general plot? Like, what do so, you think? Yeah, I. Okay. Did so you understand right this. away what it was like? Like, do you understand? Like, do you can you see in kind of a linear way the plot? So right away, I could tell that we are going to follow this woman. Her name is Mima, mm-hmm. and she is a pop star. She's a singer, and she quickly wanted to transition into another field of work acting. And I knew the movie was going to center around that in like the first, like setting it up, like that was going to be the case, but I didn't know it was going to be as dark as it was until those dark beats started coming to fruition early in the film. And you're, and I'm like, okay, there's something sinister happening behind the scenes. I don't really know what it is yet. Um, And then once it truly unfolded, I was like, oh my God, this is, it was well set up and the payoff was well worth it by the end of the film. Right. Yes. So what, what surprised me as well was the, the, you know, the creepy guy at first. So when, when I was talking about the social commentary, it's because this is Japan from the nineties and Japan is the land of the pop idols. And they still are like, Mm -hmm. even with the K-pop and J-pop and those kind of things, Korea and Japan are, definitely very fond of that and you can see there is lots of fans but she was transitioning to an acting career because they have pop idols by the pound that like you can get as many as Mm. you want and they weren't like there wasn't so much money in that so she wanted to transition to an acting career but i did find very interesting the duality of the conflict within her because she wanted to sing and and people say like but isn't she supposed to sing she's so good at singing 
But then she started to, starts to compromise, mostly to make her agents happy, right? Right. To, to earn more to the agency. And so she starts to compromise and doing these dramas on TV. And then that's not enough. So she starts to do this mm-hmm. spicy uh, photo shoots <laughs> for, for, you know, terrible magazines and, and yeah and, and, and that's that's you know that w- that was the initial social commentary some of the scenes like when she compromises and like shows her body mm-hmm. it did really feel to me as if you were saying that the audience itself wants to rape the idol when in mm-hmm. those scenes yeah she, she's at some point she needs to act as a victim of rape and Somebody doesn't right. want her to, but she accepts and compromises on that. And the scene showed me that, you know, she's compromising her morals. So she has this split, splitting personality. Like, is the real me still singing? Is the real me acting right now? Who am I? And that's the theme of the movie, right? As the movie right. evolves, she gets more and more confused. And, the you know, the editing becomes more confused. Mm-hmm. And you can't really understand what is a dream. What is the reality? What is going on? Her days melt with each other. And that right. she she seemed a victim, and and it seemed to me that the message there was the audience wants the blood of the pop idol, and that's the thirst, <laughs> and that's kind yeah. of abusing them psychologically as well. It's a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, with the main character Mima, there's a lot of embedded themes within her character the the, mm-hmm. the theme of celebrity, and also like the theme of autonomy of her as a person as a as a mm. professional bending to the whims of her agents or directors or screenwriters mm. like there's a lot going on with her character so let's like fully get into it full spoilers ahead um okay. with mima like her character is like so interesting and so fleshed out because like as she's transitioning from being a pop star being a singer like there are some reservations that she has like she doesn't want to fully you know, change careers. Like she kind of wants to do both, but like her agents insist, like you need to become an actor because like you said, Simone during that time period. Yeah. I mean, pop stars are a dime a dozen, like to really stand out and to make money, you have to go into a field where not a lot of people are shining. And that happens to be acting. Like there's not a whole lot of people that can transition from being a singer to an actor. It's a completely different skill set, And you have that skill set, So you should do it. And so she's beholden to her uh, agents uh, to do that. And she doesn't really want to, but she, you know, follows the money and she does. And when she does, like you said, she compromises on her morals in certain ways. And that's so interesting illustrated because on the surface, she, she showcases that she's okay with it. Like, uh, the director of this film that she's a part of, she, they were saying like, there's going to be a rape scene and this is important for the character because it pays off later in the film. You become empowered by it and blah, blah, blah. Um, she was initially hesitant, but then she was like, you know what? I want to do it. I want to do it. Like, it'll be good for my uh, acting career to do that scene. And also it'll piss off my parents. So that's like a little <laughs> uh, icing on the cake. And what was interesting was her main agent, Rumi, was like, Mimi or Mima, like you don't have to do this. Like you shouldn't do this. And she was like, no, I'll do it. And then what was interesting later in the film is after she did that scene, which was very long, very exhausting because she's screaming the whole time. She regretted doing it. She was like, God damn it. Why did I do that? Why did I have to do that? 
So it's like her, like on the deep inside of her, she was like, I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyways because I didn't want to let anyone down. So one of the interesting parts is like in Paprika, the, the dream, we, that's when we start to really not understand what the reality is. Right. And what she dreams about and feels is. And and the reason why it works well with a psychological thriller here is I found it really well constructed because what's the name of Mimania? Yeah. Mimania is this early internet blog who's writing in first person as he he was Mima. Right. And narrates her life as if she kept being a singer, a pop singer. Very sad that she wanted to transition to an acting career. Basically, it was a lonely man who spoke like a, a, a pop idol like Mima, emulated her and pretended to be Mima to the point that, you know, like, no, you don't know. It's like people reading that were like, is this actually Mima sharing her feelings and sharing right. the fact that she's not satisfied with her life now? He went to great detail. This was a stalker and a dangerous mm-hmm. man who observed every single step, literally step off of the train that she took. And so that's when it became interesting because she was also clearly feeling partially like this guy did to the point that she doesn't know if that she questions herself. It goes like, is... is is the real Mima actually living her life like that? Am I am I a copy? Is this a dream? Mm. Am I when did I split? When did I not split? And the editing and the 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 animation has these transitions which merge perfectly one scene into the other, mm-hmm. like Khan did also in Paprika, through sound and through video, that we really don't understand which one is real and which one is a dream at some point. There is a game of mirrors as well, you know, Mm -hmm. reflecting and looking into yourself. So we don't understand which side of the mirror we're in. And that's what's really interesting for this dissonant uh, split personality. The drama starts to also talk about that. Like everything merges. The the drama she's acting on TV also talks about a serial killer and somebody with a split personality disorder as she's having a split personality disorder. And as we'll see at the end, as somebody else was having a split personality disorder. So three (laughs) split personality disorders coming into one and the animation shows that wonderfully. Yeah, because like as I was watching this, let's unpack that a little bit. I'm glad you brought that up because like (laughs) The movie, like, seamlessly bends uh, Mima's dreams with Mm -hmm. the film that she's working on and then the reality of her life. Because, like, as the movie progresses, like, she's working on this film that's about, uh, I forget what exactly. It's a psychological thriller. It's about us. Yeah. It was a a psychological thriller of a model transitioning into an actor or something like that and like her real life is she was a singer transitioning to an actor and then like as the movie progresses there are murders that happen in the same exact way that the film uh characters occur and it's like you 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 begin the question like what is real and what isn't real and with this film like i was sitting there like wait wait what's happening and then like it perfectly um like i get confused sometimes like i'm like okay oh that's the film uh the film within the film that they're working on because like of the transitions of right. like where it like goes from the movie that you're watching 
And then it pans out, breaks the fourth wall within their world, going through the screen or it like rewinds the scene, like in real time. Like it, it like you said, it perfectly. So th- this director really likes it, right? You saw mm-hmm. it with Paprika. We saw it with this one. It is in Paranoia Agent as well. Mm. In the same way. You know what's the difference between Inception in in treating these themes and and this one or Paprika, and especially this one? It doesn't go too far. It doesn't go too far. I started to question what it was. He went on a little bit. He played with it. He heightened it. And then we were done. And then it was revealed. It didn't go too long or too far because this is... This is. I also talked about Man, Man on the Moon, the movie with yeah. with Jim Carrey, and um, about Andy Kaufman, who was a notorious uh, <laughs> broadcast prankster. And you never knew if he was like acting, <laughs> if he was being honest. So I definitely enjoyed this theme as well. But that was the thing with Andy Kaufman, and even with that movie. At some point, after two hours and more, you just like. Oh God! Again? <laughs> like, <laughs> is this real or not? Again? I thought it was the last time or the last layer. There's one more layer, and with this movie, you don't get to the point. You're like, oh, is this real or not? Huh? Is it real or not? Huh? Okay, I know. It's just it, it gets to a conclusion, and it's right. more powerful because of that. Right. Less boring. Like, right, and like with Inception, it like like you said, it doesn't go far. With this film, it, it takes it a step further. And then mm-hmm. another step further. And then once you get to that next step, you're like, oh, I know what's happening. So um, with this film, I'm glad you brought up Man on the Moon because like, I liked how you're like, this is totally Kaufman-esque in a way because like it messes with the audience of like, you don't know what's mm-hmm. real and what isn't. And I liked your anecdote in that podcast of buying a press release of Man on the Moon where it comes mm-hmm. with a little 45 and you're like, you know what? After years of owning this thing, of like 10 years, I'm going to play it on my LP player. And you did. And the record stops. And you're like, what? what's happening? And then you get up and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I know what kind of product this is. So you got played by the dude beyond the grave. I just absolutely love it. <laughs> and Justin was sitting there and goes like, ooh, how smart. The, the record is broken just like in the movie. Haha. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, sometimes we can just enjoy. <laughs> no. I love it. Um, and with yeah, this film, I love that like, too. Satoshi Khan like, does it so perfectly because like, you don't know what's happening. But like, by the time you get to the ending, you're like, now I understand what he was trying to do. And it's a genius. So would you like to unpack what was happening with uh, Mima, also Rumi, and also Mimania? Because like their stories get to a point where they all intertwine with each other at the very mm-hmm. end. Yeah, it's all about desire, I think, of wanting to be someone else. Mima wants to be someone else. So she thinks she has these two sides to her. Mimenia, the fan, wants to be someone else. He's, he's a lonely man who eventually gets obsessed with this pop idol girl. Mm-hmm. And either he wants to be her lover, protector, angel. A song is about angels. Mm-hmm. Um, the angels of love, right? In in mm-hmm. Japanese, it was, um, I think, Aino uh, Tenshi. The angel of love was the song mm-hmm. in Japanese. Um, so this guy also has this, this duality. And then Rumi, her agent apparently also just doesn't want to be simply agent. She also wants to be a pop idol. 
sorry, bon bon, spoiler. But <laughs> to unpack to unpack it, that's that's the thing. That's a triad. So those those double personalities, and the name of the tr- thriller in the show is Double Bind. Um, I think it's it's significant, right? Um, in the same right. way, because it's this right. trip, it's this triangle of overlapping double personalities that then gets solved, and the solution to that, sadly, it's only going to happen to Mima, mm-hmm. thanks to the other people showing her what looking for someone you are not makes to you, make turns you into, and makes to you. She then realizes who she really is beyond and above this dual personality dilemma. I like that. I like that a lot because like (laughs) throughout this entire story, like she's being dictated what she is. You are a pop Mm -hmm. star. You're not a pop star anymore. You're an actor. She's also dictating it to herself. When we have, Mm -hmm. I think when we have this kind of, of dilemmas with ourselves, who am I? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's ever truly dictating it to you. It's just that you're not strong enough to look at yourself and see your true self and determine who you are. So it's mm-hmm. easy to fall victim to that, but eventually mm-hmm. it's a strength that you have to gain yourself to to pick something and to just honor who you are. Right. And that's, I think, what she does. It's confidence too. I'm not saying like she's not confident in her abilities, but like she's not confident to stand up for herself. She just goes with the flow and because it's easier that way. She goes with the flow she, because, like, what do you mean by flow? I think she goes with her desires, and she's not in control of her desires. What I mean by flow is because, like, she was a singer, and she was mm-hmm. content in that. And then her agents were like, "You need to go a different direction." She was like, "Okay." She she ultimately bent to their will. She's going with the flow of what they want. Okay. And then from the film that she was working on. Uh, her role got bigger and bigger and bigger as the project uh, went on and she started doing things that she wasn't particularly comfortable with, but she was like, you know what, ultimately this is what they want. They think it's going to be best for me. So I better, I better just do it. And I'm comfortable. Is it, is it just, do you think it's just the want of, of her agents or do you think there is an overlap with her want as well? I think, I think there is an overlap because like ultimately if she did not want to do that, if she had no mm-hmm. desire for, I guess, increased mm-hmm. fame in the yes. acting world, she would have yes. said no, yes. but she did yeah. not say no. Yes. So approval and recognition, right? Yeah. So I think There's a that's, little bit of ambition there. Yeah. And nothing wrong with that, but how do the way we satisfy that ambition and the way we get that approval, it is strongly tied to, to media fame, mediatic fame in that mm. sense. And in that way, all the three characters are seeking that. One is doing it anonymously because it's definitely not attractive. <laughs> it's definitely like, it doesn't have all the stereotypical standards that you need to, to be mediatic, uh, mediatically uh, known or relevant or famous. But right. I think that the, what, what she really gets freed from is her being a victim of events and being a victim of our desires. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Versus truly understanding what she wants. Right. Point of view, personal point of view, personal point of no, view. No, I mean. I think I, I, I interpret think it like that. Yeah, I think you're on, I think you hit the target with that. Because like, Rumi. Okay, because okay, so let's okay. <laughs> me mania, like you said, he's a weirdo. He's a stalker, mm-hmm. and he creates this false personality. He pretends to be uh, Mima, like the singer, and she and he wants to cultivate that and preserve that because, like, in his room, he has I don't know fifty posters of her sprawled on the wall. Yeah, imagine ceiling. a creep with only one person. Yeah, he's, a, he's completely obsessed with this person that he creates a website, a, a blog uh, from 1999 detailing this fictionalized life of her. Partially fictionalized. It's mostly true because he stalks her. It's very creepy. So like he's he's and as the film progresses, there is a lot of viewership of this website because people are thinking, is this actually her? Like you said, are people you know, like you said, People are wondering, is this the real Mima? I mean, as the film progresses, it's clear that it's not um, because, like, it doesn't correlate with reality. Like, I'm going to be performing at this show. She doesn't. Um, and then with Rumi, which was the biggest twist of this film, mm. um, she wants to, like you said, she wants to be a pop star to the point where she believes she is Mima. She is, she is the real Mima. This Mima that she is uh, managing isn't the real Mima because the real Mima wouldn't do. Uh, a film like this, a film that has to do with murder, a film that has uh, sexual content with her. Um, like she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't quote, be this dirty person. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was like pretty interesting language to illustrate what she was doing in this film. It's like, you're not pure anymore. I thought that was super interesting from Rumi's perspective because like you would think that's from Mima's perspective. Like she's upholding her own values, but it's the Mm. values put onto her by her agent. Like you wouldn't do this. And she's like, no, I, I will, I'll do it. So it's like, she wants to be the perfected Mima in her eyes. It's almost like the overprotective mother or like the mother of like a pageant girl where it's like, I'm going to live through you, but like now you're not, fitting the right. mold of what I want you to do. So I'm going to take it upon myself to become and, this and person. E- and even in that case, who is it that is having the dirty sentiment? Like, the, you know, who is dirty, right? Right. Because it's, the moment that Rumi. you want to... Yeah, and well, I think it, it's everyone, but particularly Rumi, yes. It, it's at that point you are advocating and searching for this ideal purity in somebody else because you don't have it yourself because you can't find it in yourself so you have to of course i mean she was a killer at that point Rumi. right um so 
it's always easy to pretend and find purity in others before we cultivate that in ourselves. And, and we become blinded by this search and, and transferring that partially and expecting from others what we can't right. respect with ourselves. I'm about to start talking aphorisms here. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest twist was... So as this film progresses, it's, a, it's about a serial killer, uh, the film that uh, Mima's working on. Mm. And it bends into reality because there's actual killing happening. And you begin to question whether this is real or not, whether Mima's doing it, whether someone else is doing it, whether the stalker's doing it. And as you're going through, it's not clear. And I think that adds to the tone of the film in such beautiful way because like everything isn't spelled out and i truly appreciate that how did you feel about the whole subplot with the serial killer as this film progressed no again as i said i think that worked great um there was a good twist it was well intertwined with the subplot or main plot depending on how you see of the of the psychological triangle and existential questions and uh <laughs> Uh, no, it really was. It was a physical representation of that, right? So right. I, I, I thought it. Would, I think it was a great game between the execution and and appearing the main plot and and be the metaphor of the search that there is for clarity right. of vision in ourselves, in the duality of that, and uh, all the fears that we have against who we could be, who we could have been, and and uh, being dirty and being pure. Mm -hmm. how much do you want to compromise of your character to get ahead that's really what the film is ultimately asking um with the serial killer plot points what was interesting was because it bended reality you bend it bended it was kind of I like a whodunit i i uh, i apologize yeah. Armand. are you touched okay. the point that i think it's really important what was okay, the question yeah. how how much are you willing to compromise to get what you want yeah, that's the question that I guess the film asks the yeah. characters, which then asks the audience, how much are you willing to compromise to get ahead? So some people eventually are able to ask themselves a question like Mima and the yeah. other two are not able to. They're just victim of what they want. So the mm. answer is infinite. Like those two are willing to compromise infinite amount of resources life itself in fact they lose it while right. mima at some point is isn't at some point she's like no i'm in charge so i think that's that's a very good point like probably if i had to find one point of this movie or you know even if it was maybe intentional i think that's 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 interesting yeah i like how you put it because like mima is aware She's aware. She's aware of her actions. She knows what she's doing. She is fully aware of what she's compromising. And she's okay with it. Rumi and Mimania are not okay with it. Well, not they're not aware of it to the point where they lose their lives. They compromise also, to the point where they're dead. The only person who is actually sane is the only one who was questioning herself if she was insane. Who was that? Mima. She was the only one questioning reality <laughs> and if she was insane. 
Turns out she's the only one sane. The other, the other two were completely insane, and they didn't yeah. think for a second, a split second, am I insane? But they were. God, you know, Rumi's character, compl- that, that was, because like there's a scene near the end of the film where Mima was like attacked or something, and Rumi was there to, oh, she was attacked by Mimania. And Rumi was there to be like, oh, my God, what happened? Let me take you home. Let me take you back to mm-hmm. Mima's room, mm-hmm. which was I thought was weird in the moment. I was like, huh? And then she is back in her apartment with what looks like her apartment. And then she quickly realizes this is not my apartment. This is made to look like my apartment. And it was actually Rumi's apartment. And she is dressed like the pop <laughs> version of her persona on stage when she was with her pop band. And that's when <laughs> that's when the film went full nuts. I was like, oh, what? That was the big oh shit moments. And did you watch she, it in original language, like in Japanese with English subtitles? Yeah. Okay. I was curious about the English dub. I, I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to it. I would I was this was fairly emotional, I think, in Japanese, as it usually tends to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, speaking. I try not to sidebar i try not to like watch foreign films dubbed because one the dubbed actors aren't usually very good no offense simone i know you did some dub work back in the day yeah so good (laughs) and two i want to i want to hear the original language because like there's emotion like you said there's emotion there's inflection that usually isn't replicated by someone in a different language doing it And, and it just it just seems weird to, to watch something dubbed if it's not exact, like the mouth isn't correct or superficial. I feel like, it's, like it's, it's easier with animation. Of course, even in animation, in each language, you need to create movements with the mouth. But with animation, mm. you I think it's easier to mm. convey the same kind of emotion. It's it's easier with like, you know, when it's Meryl Strip and, and then there's the voice of another person and she's moving the mouth with American English <laughs> movements. And then, you know, as a person who grew up for 20 years watching that dubbed in Italian, now if I watch something in Italian that is dubbed, it was like, ooh, that's, uh, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it's strange. I think back, to, so my dad grew up in Lebanon and mm-hmm. he was watching this American movie and had like, what was it? It was Anthony, it was Anthony something. Like the famous actor. Let's just say Anthony Hopkins. And like oh, the yeah. film was dubbed in Arabic. And like him and his friends were like, whoa, he speaks Arabic? And then they watched the movie and he's like, wait a minute. That's not him speaking. The words don't match his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 strange. <laughs> but like I didn't even know there was an English dub for this film. I didn't even know that was a, a thing because when I rented it, it was only one option. It was Japanese, Japanese English yeah. subtitles. And um, in the beginning of the is. film, for like 30 seconds, I didn't have the subs on. So I was like, wait a minute. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> Let me try on the subs. I thought it would be automatic. <laughs> Gotta learn Japanese. Uh, yeah, it came out in the US as VHS in 1999. And there was then it was dub. remastered in 2017. Mm. As Blu-ray, okay. I think. Very nice. It definitely deserves a Blu-ray treatment. <laughs> but getting back into the film, um, I do want to bring this up because we, we mentioned uh, English releases. And I wanted to bring this up with you. Did you watch Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan? The movie? Yeah, the movie Black Swan. I actually have, yes. 
do you see parallels between uh, we're not going to get off the fence yet but do not you see a, not that you say it yes not that you say it yes i do see parallels with like search for the fame compromise the duality well uh, the Even only the cinematography the only well yeah there is uh the opening scene of black swan is this metaphor of fight between light and dark and, you know, there is two dancers on screen. She's dressed as white. He's dressed in dark. There is areas of, of, of on stage, on this ballet scene, areas of light and areas of complete dark. And it is about the delicate balance between both and how they both serve each other and how sometimes it's ambiguous to see who's prevailing, what are we giving up, what are we receiving. And that's what the ballet is. The ballet is a ballet between light and darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yes, it's it is most definitely the same exact theme that you find here. That's a good point. Yeah, because I bring that up because the reason I found out about Perfect Blue was because people were comparing it to Black Swan or comparing Black Swan to Perfect Blue, and that's how I found out about the film. I saw plagiarism, Khan. <laughs> and I'll, I'm not going to say it's plagiarism yet. No. But I was like, okay, because like visually there are some scenes, even watching it, um, mm. I was like, Black Swan <laughs> or Black Swan. Took yeah, I, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't remember, do you, thinking of Black Swan, I remember fantastically the opening scene because mm. I, I don't want to brag about it. I think it, it gave away completely the movie in the first three minutes. And so that's, that's the main thing I remember. But yeah, if you say that if there are parallels, I would not be too surprised. Is it directed by the same director of Inception? No. No, 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 no. I'm kidding, no. I'm kidding. kidding. <laughs> you're, you're... <laughs> just, just this guy ripping off Satoshi Gun with live movies. Uh, but like, it's yeah. not the only... Inc- um, you bring that up uh, comedically, but like uh, Christopher Nolan did Inception, which heavily mm-hmm. lifted from... Uh, paprika and then now you have darren aronofsky who made black swan and that also lifted some things from uh, perfect blue so i let me just ask you this question how come directors in the west look at the east and say like this is free real estate let me adapt that into my movie i don't i don't don't, unless you're talking about tarantino i don't feel that way (laughs) even about inception um, I mean, Tarantino legitimately, you know, watching Tarantino stuff after in my 30s compared to when I was a teenager in high school, I look at it and, and after having watched some Japanese movies that he heavily took from, I'm like, oh, you <laughs> literally took everything. You took songs, you took framing, you took themes, you took yeah. openings, you took closings. Mm-hmm. And that is that is kind of like, all right, whatever, you were doing your nerd dream of, of mixing <laughs> spaghetti were western with with japanese stuff because little people had seen it and you wanted to you know whatever enjoy yourself right. so that 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 to me sounds like what you're saying this guy is like looking for real estate the themes that are in inception and in paprika in black swan and in this movie i don't see it as a free for all i see it definitely as inspiration and i think I think, you know, take Fight Club. Fight Club, mm-hmm. Edward Norton at some point is in front of a, a Xerox machine. He's, you know, making copies of paper. 
And he says, everything is a copy of 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 a copy. And that is, that comes down to me just to the fact that some themes are universal and not just in the structure and the hero search that goes back to Greece. It's just when you're talking about the fight within us about light and darkness, when you talk about the duality and finding who we are, Sure, if you see that a scene is exactly taken with the framing, with the songs, one after the other, that is plagiarism. But, uh, you know, as, as Picasso said, mediocre artists uh, copy, great artists steal. So inspiration is totally fine. I agree with that. And I don't know if I had to say the, the, the quote right. From Picasso, <laughs> but you know, but it worked. The sentiment is the same, yeah. Because that is such an interesting um, line of dialogue from Fight Club. Because like it's true, but like it's what you do with it. It's like, of course, if I make something, it's going to be inspired from something else, whether real or fictionalized. And with stories, it's like you're building upon previous writers and what they did and it's like i see what you're doing let me try to do that better and that's where like, i don't and i don't see also necessarily with that i feel like if for anybody who has a little bit of introspection if the source can be external or it can be internal if you mm. try to preserve yourself and use yourself as the source and it is internal yeah. you eventually if if you dig enough um i think you're gonna come up with some universal themes that are just proper of of, of us being here and so that's that's eventually what you are also going to experience, I'm going to experience, and somebody 2,000 years ago has experienced. So the, the theme itself, I, I think, is that's that's why you might say, like, oh, that I felt that too. Yeah, because we have the same experience. Mm-hmm. But am I missing the point of what you were saying? No, but I want to bring up something else that's more important um, with Satoshi Kon. The Maximus systems and... Existence. <laughs> it has to do with that because, like, okay, oh, great. you brought up the, like, for example, Black Swan. It brings up mm-hmm. the battle between light and dark within the human hearts. And with the Eastern cultures, specifically Japan, you have Taoism. And the symbol of Taoism is, you know, the famous, uh, the two two halves, the black half with the white dot and the, the white half with the black, or shoot, the black half with the white dots and then the, the white half with the black dot. Mm, and it's no. like, the yin and y- yes, the yin, yeah, the, yin and the yang, yang and the yang. Yeah, okay. So you have this culture that has those themes embedded within it, where it's like order and chaos, and then within the order and chaos, there's a little bit of each elements. So and that's within our hearts too. You have the light and the darkness. You have the dark with a little bit of light in it, and then the light with a little bit of dark in it. And then with the West, you don't really have that concept in the forefront of people's minds. You don't have that duality within the human hearts battling within each other, and I feel I, like I'm with, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with that. Okay, please do. And that's where like with these <sighs> Western directors, they look at that and it's like, okay, that type of story is not really developed here in the United States that often. So I'm gonna take that story and adapt it into my film. Boom, success. Because something people don't really hear in the West. But go on. No, I, I disagree. I think that actually the duality is a property of, of Western thinking. And he starts with Western religions and Christianity, where you always have this 
physical duality of, you know, uh, good and evil battling each other. And then it becomes something that is also in psychology with the, with the, with the splitting of, of everything, the ego and, and S and, and, and all of that. So duality is very much our way to see things. What you see a little bit more in, you mentioned, uh, Taoism, but, you know, it, it can be, it can be anything from from Shintoism to Buddhism. I think what you see there instead of is the unity of this apparent duality that we don't have. So usually, at the end of the day, I think I think what we what 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 was uh, what was your point with saying that the West doesn't have this duality? Which I think it actually we do. What we are lacking is the vision of unity and the fact that it's. The, the so you know a and b i don't even want to say good and evil are just a, a different side of the same coin. shadow and light let's keep it general <laughs> yeah shadow um, sure i think i think uh what i feel also from these movies is that it's it's always a blur and so it was in black mm-hmm. swan and and actually you know she overcomes uh her fears the moment that she realizes that she's truly it doesn't matter she's both you are both those personalities so that's that's the message that i like to take also from it i like that i guess my point was i mean you're absolutely right with like it's embedded within christianity this battle between yourself like yeah right yeah but like i don't want i mean it doesn't get more it doesn't get more metaphorical and symbolic than having a guy that is deep down earth and plotting Mm -hmm. against good and a guy that is up in the sky and having having those like against each other right like it doesn't get it doesn't get more metaphorical than that that we have two sides right yeah the, the sorry our man tea. boom yeah. <laughs> We're getting deep yeah you have god and satan and then that's super macro and then you zoom in good sure. and evil between people cain and abel yes. and then zoom in even more yeah. um the person and then good and evil within their heart um, yes so that's totally there and what i was saying earlier i didn't want to split hairs because where did christianity start start in the middle east <laughs> and then the, right then the no West that's Japan. that's a good point that's a good point so i think that's for at least for the little that i know it's it's a theme that i see everywhere right right the duality yeah. of this kind of stuff is actually the unity of it and which is actually mm-hmm. the duality which is the unity blah 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 you can go in the dream into the paradox the reality whatever the dream at the end dream. of the day it's sure yeah um at the end of the day uh you know i had a fantastic cake as i was watching the movie and um it it uh and it, it was really fun um <laughs> to see these people killing each other no uh, it, was, uh, <laughs> it was good um i thought it, it started to look a little bit old compared to other animations including paprika because it's definitely less flowy you can see satoshi Khan has the same character movements of, of yep. uh, Rumi jumping around between yep. buildings and it's kind of a, like a ghost or something that paprika then does in a very fluid way uh but here it's more more mechanical because i think technically speaking he didn't have the budget or there was no technique yet to do it so fluid yeah probably not because it was his first film so mm-hmm. i'm glad you brought that up because we're gonna go into the final segment of this show which is off the fence so my first question for you did darren aronofsky's black swan rip off perfect blue yes or no 
I'm going to go with no, but I don't really know because I, I the only thing I remember is a commonality of theme. I do not remember any overlap with like scene by scene or some other stuff they were mentioning might be informed with. I want to be optimistic and say that, you know, if even he got inspired by the theme, <laughs> it wasn't a ripoff, but he was actually making two fantastic movies, including Back Swan, like this. I am going to agree with you, too, because like I don't think he blatantly ripped it off like Christopher Nolan with Inception. Uh, with paprika uh but there are i think he took inspiration from this film because not only are the themes pretty similar also different in some regards um some of the shots of like mm. nima going towards the light um is mm-hmm. very reminiscent of black swan so i think he just took inspiration from it i don't think he blatantly ripped it off like some people are suggesting all right, we'll we'll solve him for now. For now. For now. <laughs> You're off the hook now, Darren. Yeah. So so let's get into the film. Um so there was serial murders happened with this film. So do you think Mima was a killer in this film? No. Or was it just Rumi? Rumi. It was Rumi? Start yes. to finish? Yep. Why? Because it's explained. because like for me leaving the film i was like okay like Rumi, i think did some of it but also there was like bloody clothes in mima's closet yeah because because Rumi had access to her place which we see at the end i mean she knew what she was doing when alone inside the house and she had a camera literally installed inside or something like that right so she but if she installed a camera could see inside the room she had access to it Honestly, I mean, I might be wrong, but that's how I interpret it. No, that makes sense. Oh, that's so fucked up. Man, she was nuts, Romy. Yeah, she is truly nuts, yes. Oh, poor Mima. She's just going about her life. Okay, all right. I like that. So do you think this was a strong opening film for Satoshi Khan's directorial career? This was his first directed film. Do you think it was strong? Yes, absolutely, yes. Because he took a genre... That usually is not associated with that anime uh, format, and mm-hmm. he made it work, and he made it work well, and it identified exactly what he believes in or is interested in as a creator. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And it looks good and it works well. So I think it was very strong compared to other... It didn't try to please many people, I think, there. Right. You could tell like this was a story that he wanted to tell and he had full creative control and depicting that on screen i think he did so fun fun fact i was reading about it earlier uh it looks like he has no clue why it's called perfect blue uh because the novel is called perfect blue and he never read the novel even though he directed the movie called like that and inspired to it he just read the summary of the novel this is a quote this is a quote from an interview in japanese from him okay. he just read the the summary of the novel in the project breakdown that was presented to him he then took it as an inspiration to create his own story and at some point he thought oh i guess the title perfect blue i didn't even know what it was about but even now probably even less it is about what it was supposed to be, but I haven't read the novel, so I decided to keep it because it was mysterious enough. That that was it. That's oh the reason why it's called Perfect Blue. So, yeah, I know. Part of me was just like, really, man, you're making a movie about this? You don't even read the novel? Fuck you. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Who cares? <laughs> that gave him the inspiration. At this point, he was neither plagiarized or anything. He just took it as an inspiration to make something completely different, right? Wow. I like... I wonder how that author feels. Oh, they're making a movie about my book. <laughs> I they didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder the same. For Paprika, he also adapted a novel. You know, uh, it was an adaptation. But the author was present throughout. He read it. He worked hard on it. But this one, he was just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so I'll see what I can do with this stuff. He just wanted uh, to do some stuff. Give me the log line. Okay, I'll make a film out of that. But yeah. are you going to read it, right? You're right. going to read it, right? <laughs> I love that. I kind of admire that. It's just like, fuck it. Yeah, it's, I like that. I like that too. So yeah, I think this was a strong opening because like you could see the little hallmarks of like Satoshi Khan's aesthetic within this film. Like, like you said, with uh, Rumi's version of Mima dancing across the streetlights, dancing across the hallway, uh, or mm-hmm. even chasing after yeah. uh, Mima during that long chase scene. Like you could see the animation techniques that he would later use in Mm Pepper. So mm -hmm, I was like, mm -hmm. I know what that is. I point at the screen. I know what that is. So I thought it was a nice to see like his aesthetic being fleshed out and built that he he would Mm -hmm. later uh, expand upon. So my final question for you, would you recommend perfect blue to a friend? Yes, I would for the reasons that I shared earlier. I think it's, it's just an interesting, unusual story. And um, and I did enjoy the twists, and I did not foresee the twists. And I do like the theme of the eternal battle within yourself and uh, overall, and the way that it ties us to everyone else around us. We share that. Yeah, like this movie elevates the genre for me. Like, there's nothing wrong with watching Dragon Ball Z. There's nothing wrong with watching Mobile Suit Gundam. But like... How dare watching, you, sir, even entertain the thought that there might be wrong with something Dragon Ball Dragon Ball is perfect. 
Dragon Ball, I, I really like <laughs> Vegeta and Goku. I mean, you're on the Dragon Ball episode that we did. Like, I, it has a very special place in my heart. And Gundam Wing is, I think, an I amazing story. I know you're being tongue in cheek, but like, Perfect yeah. Blue is like when an artist, when a like when this visionary person, Satoshi Khan, creates uh, the a art. Story. The art. Yes, like this okay. is like, and like a great novel, and also a masterpiece being displayed and that's what the movie is it's a hybrid of both and i think it does a great job of illustrating that to the viewer and i think it elevates the genre so yeah i would 100 percent. i'm just gonna nod to that i am not that enthusiastic i would still strongly advise it sorry i know <laughs> i don't want to undersell this in your show but you see you seem to feel much more stronger i know you should watch it absolutely watch it it's good it didn't it didn't change my life but you should watch it. <laughs> yeah. And like, even to the listener that hasn't watched it and listened to this whole thing, watching it is a completely different experience than listening to people talk about it. Like it's, yeah, it was a good movie. I really like it. Yeah, just go watch it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, maybe they'll do it again, but on the, there is a Japanese culture website that is allowing you to stream this for free together with the other yes, Satoshi Kon movies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's probably in the past for you who are listening, but um, it's easy to find at your library. At least yeah. in Chicago, many copies. Or if you have a couple bucks to spend, it's you know it's on all the streaming couple websites. Bucks. A couple bucks. Okay, are you ready to close this out, Simone? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Well, that's it for this time on Syndicate. <laughs> we hope you joined yourself. We've been talking about Perfect Blue. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, Simone, thank you so much for coming back to Syndicate. Thank you, Armand. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Like it's always, it's always a pleasure to have you on. So if you'd like to see more of Simone's latest projects, please head over to mm-hmm. Simone.org where you can where you can find his latest reflections on life. Yeah, that's that's it. And podcast and newsletter. Just sign up for the newsletter. Simone.org slash newsletter. Thanks, Armand. You're welcome. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Or join the Discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.